0: What's up you wild and wonderful people? Today's show is brought to you by man's best friend, human's best friends, that's dogs. I'd like to dedicate this show to my parents or to my family's dog, uh, Marley, who had passed away this morning after 12 amazing years, living the dog's life, Um, and I thought I would start this episode by bringing this up because it ties into what today's episode is about I guess. Today's episode is about happiness and I have my good friend and fellow classmate Jillian Mandich on the show to discuss her research into happiness and how we can cultivate happiness in our lives and I think again why I bring up or why I dedicate this show to dogs and my family's dog is because they make us so freaking happy don't they? think of all the, if you're a dog person, I guess, if you're not a dog person, then you don't know what I'm talking about, but for me, I've had many dogs in my life, and uh, they mean so much, and I find it so fascinating, our wild history with dogs, and how long humans and dogs have been coexisting together, synergistically, hunting, and and all of that, so truthfully, it's a topic for a future episode, and I would love to uh, dive into that history a little bit more, but one thing I think and why I'm bringing this into happiness is because dogs are a part of our families, right? And when we have a strong sense of community in our life, and when we're sharing the stressors with our community, so with our family, with our neighbors, with, um, you know, our local community, or at least as we used to back in the day when we were more community focused and less individualistic and in today's episode Jill and I talk about one of the predeterminants for happiness and that is a strong sense of community and family and social cohesion so I feel like when we are again looking back from a rewilding lens we see that you know tribes would actually share in triumphs and defeats with all of the stressors that came with living off the land right and we don't have this anymore we don't build this resilience into our life which I think you know is part of the reason why I feel like today people aren't all that happy and we talk about this stuff in the episode today so I'll save all the statistics and cool stuff or interesting stuff for the episode but I feel like we've totally gotten away from this shared sense of camaraderie and from that we've become less happy so Again, I think uh, on a day like today, if you have a dog um, in your home, give him a big hug and really, uh, you know, I guess it's just a, for me, it's just I'm so grateful to have had these relationships with four-legged and furry critters. I love them so dear. So um, I thought I'd bring that up to start today's episode. Another thing I want to talk about in today's episode, total side side note to what we're talking about, but I wanted to weigh in. Really quick on the whole coronavirus and the COVID 19, however you want to call it. Why I want to say this is because I, for one, often as a critically minded individual, I see things on the six o'clock news and I do not get too excited. Right off the hop like many folks and this has been going on now for a couple months this virus and it hasn't been until really the last few weeks where it's really started to come on my radar as something to look at um, in a unique way. Not in any way am I trying to uh, add to the hysteria or fear around this topic because I think there is much of that and I think that could be dialed back a little bit but there are still points for concern and that's why I'm even bringing it up in the first place. So Um, actually I wrote about this in my newsletter. So if you guys want to stay up on all these kind of thoughts and ways that I'm trying to synthesize research on this stuff as a health science PhD student, but also as a rewilder. So I wanted to throw that out there. And if you haven't signed up for the newsletter yet, you can head over to rewildmybio.com and you can sign up right there on the landing page. So like many health sciences researchers, I've been keen on seeing where this is going and there appears to be a few things that i've noticed based on what some of the you know experts are saying or researchers now for the record i am in no way shape or form an expert on immunology and you know viruses viral infections things like that um no training on that whatsoever my uh foundation or training would come from um you know life as a holistic lifestyle coach as a fitness coach as a you know personal trainer uh, and also as a health science researcher so specifically my field is health promotion and health promotion is um, anything that allows an individual or a group of people to increase control over their health so when it comes to things like say you know hand washing and and avoiding large crowds during you know times of uh, influenza and things like that that's health promotion researchers are normally the ones behind that type of research and you know The how to do those things so my interest in this or where I feel like I could speak towards is in regards to lifestyle medicine and those things that we could do to increase control over our health and I feel like if health promotion researchers and colleagues of mine or have a had a little bit more of a proactive airtime let's say on your six o'clock news rather than this reactive wash your hands type thing but if we were taking care of ourselves or if we had the If within our culture, it was more common to talk about ways in which we can increase control over our health through things like, you know, exercise, uh, eating healthy, getting to bed at the right time, eliminating toxins like parabens and glyphosates and all these things, that would be beneficial because we would have the tools to essentially have a strong immune system to fight something like this off. So, And so who are the experts? And now again, I do wanna comment that these experts rarely are on the six o'clock news. The media bought and paid for. I don't necessarily like to trust these sources. Sure, I'll you know, I hear about it, I don't watch the news. But where these guys are getting their reports from are organizations like the World Health Organization, Center for Disease Control. Places like these, these are where the Ron Burgundy's of the world go and get their news. So I figure why not go right to it, read it for myself, and then sit with it, meditate on it, and think for myself what is true, right? Not just taking things that someone else says dogmatically, whether it's your favorite internet blogger or whatever. Digest this information and think for yourself what is true. So here's what the Center for Disease Control is saying and something that I think is worth breaking my silence on this topic and I wouldn't do so if I didn't think these were, I got four points here that are, I think, important to think about. So one, actually I'll even throw in five points. I've got another one here that I thought of this morning. Number one though is coronavirus, it's not going anywhere anytime soon. Um, and two, it is not predictable in the way it spreads. So coronavirus is not going anywhere. That's point one. Point two, it is not predictable in the way it spreads point number three is most cases of the disease are mild and not life threatening point number four preliminary data suggests that older adults and anyone with a weak immune system might be at higher risk of becoming ill from the virus so older adults right now is being defined as 75 and older so those are what the center for disease control is saying something else that has kind of come across my uh My perception on this is that this is different from your regular influenza. So I've heard it said, I've said it myself that, you know, X amount of people are dying every year from the flu, whereas only a few have died from coronavirus. Sure, that's true, but it's not exactly the same. We know all about influenza, scientists, medical doctors. We know um, how that whole what it's like to our physiology when we get the flu and what's happening. This COVID-19, coronavirus, we don't exactly know what is going on. So it is new and cause and for alarm in that sense that, um, you know, we always fear what we don't know type thing. So it is different. The way in which people are contracting it is different. Um, and I guess we just want to know exactly what the mechanisms of action are with this disease so that's it, it is a little different so yes though more people have died from the flu I think that um the way that this interacts with people it just it's very um very aggressive with the from what I've understood how it acts on our um pulmonary system and our lungs and our heart it can very quickly and aggressively bring on basically destruction much like the flu would but to the point of death and yes most cases aren't life-threatening as the center for disease control has said however um there are still individuals with weak immune systems in their 30s 40s 50s that might succumb to something like this so it's interesting in time i'm i mean that's my my researcher hat on if i were to put my rewilding lens on um there are a lot of people on this earth right now and this disease started in Wuhan, China, where the population density is approximately thirty two hundred people per square mile. Now, were people intended to live in such densely packed conditions? Um, you know, it makes me ask the question, why is it throughout human history, dense population in cities leads to illness? And of course, with the rewilding lens, I would say that we've removed ourselves from these small communities that lived in the woods, interacting with, you know, bacteria, yeast fungi, all things in our natural environment that helped strengthen and build resilience to our bodies. So, like, our immune system is comprised of various and millions of organ uh, various organelles, cells, things designed to defend against all manner of exposure to these bacteria, right? So, simply put, things that we do or do not do in our daily lives determines the effectiveness of our immune system. And this is something, I think, that right now should be getting more air time as the ways in which we can stay healthy and yes sure we are hearing the wash your hands stuff but what about high quality water what about sitting at the base of a tree you know so how can we strengthen our immune system do the tough things right the things we evolved with um you know we need to be proactive with these sorts of things without a doubt i would say get outdoors make friends with the tree hug a tree you know, this thing, this disease isn't going anywhere anytime soon. What better time to develop a sit spot practice? And no, this is not my wilder woo-woo side talking. Studies show health benefits from having, you know, even a window with a view of a tree as being beneficial to our health. Um, even spending time with a potted plant inside. Research has shown that this can be beneficial for our health. And adding natural elements to, uh, you know, school pa- playgrounds that are paved full of cement this has been found to improve children's health and this is all scientifically backed research stuff i'll throw some studies in the show notes if you want to take a look um so i'm not being woo woo or weird but you know even things like gazing at nature i think it's something we actually talk about in today's episode having a picture with uh nature in your office can actually boost attention and it can minimize fatigue how cool is that right so all these actions are likely to improve immune function, either directly or indirectly. So, um, again, if you want to know more about that mitochondria, cellular function stuff, we talk about that in episode eight. And however, today I think it is a great episode where we start to talk about the importance of happiness. We're always looking towards health, or often I have looked towards what makes us healthy. How does our time spent in nature increase? or Benefit our health, but how does that increase or improve our happiness? I think you guys will really enjoy this episode. I'm excited uh, to release it. I'm also excited for what potentially could come between uh, future research with Jillian and myself around happiness and nature connection. I know she's down for the cause. Um, you'll really enjoy hearing about Jillian's lifestyle. She is an old school forager, and uh, yeah, we had a lot of fun doing this. So, thank you, Jill, for being on the show, and I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Welcome to Rewild My Bio, a self help and alternative health podcast. I'm your host, Sean Slade. Join me as I share stories, science, and strategies to help you rewild your biology and redefine your biography. most smoothest way to enter into a podcast what do you think
1: I love it
0: just like that it's like slowly opening the door kind of and like yeah. saying like, I'm home it's like there's a baby sleeping kind of yeah. inside right so we just center ourselves with a little meditation yeah and with that welcome to the podcast Jill
1: Thank you so much for having me. Yeah,
0: Dr. Jillian Manich, I should say. You have no exci- no idea how exciting it is for me to say that to a fellow classmate yeah. once they get their PhD, to call you doctor. It's like I'm vicariously living through you right now.
1: And, and I know that you know the work that goes into earning those letters, so I appreciate that. For
0: sure, for sure. So yeah, I'm totally like... As we were just saying, I'm at the point where it's like you hate and you want to quit, basically. Yeah. I'm at that comprehensive exam piece. Yep. And for me, just like you switching topics, yeah. it's like, yeah, a little daunting at times, definitely, right? but uh,
1: Yeah, I wanted to quit many, many times throughout the experience. Right. And yeah, and
0: it's you're not the only one to say no, that from what I've heard.
1: No, and yet it's probably one of the most rewarding things I've ever done and the skills that I've learned above and beyond the content. It's more mm-hmm. like the life skills that I learned and the, the ability to think critically and to ask questions right. and to see things to try to see things through as unbiased of a lens as possible is such a valuable life skill.
0: Yeah, it it, it is a skill, learning to ask questions and unbiased questions, right? And removing yourself from expectations and all that. Um, For me, I've really enjoyed, yeah, what I think the the program allows me to do as far as, like, communication, right? So it just helps me communicate better, which is a a great thing. So, yeah, congrats. It's pretty – it's awesome that you're here. It's awesome to be talking about – happiness with you because that is what your PhD is in essentially right. which I'm sure so many people look at you and be like what is that Happy? a thing is that, I a get thing? that all
1: the time. is that a
0: thing well <laughs> it's like me with like a nature connection and health it's like yeah duh I know it's like nature is good for my health but it's like but we've removed ourselves and complicated things so much that I think coming back and studying happiness or nature connection I think it's where we're at because we're looking at you know disease and dysfunction but wait a minute what's that original state that we were that we started off in right and it's In nature, connected, happy. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Isn't it amazing that we, through all of these things, and even like when I first started studying happiness, I found it through looking for ways to boost health. Mm -hmm. Because as I learned, happiness and health are highly correlated. Right. And when I started unpacking happiness, I really started to realize, wow, pretty much what drives all of our behaviors on a conscious or a subconscious level Mm -hmm. is our desire to be happy. Right. Feel connected to relate to people, and thinking of it with the nature angle as well, like mm. like being in nature is being connected, right to yourself yeah. and to the planet. Exactly. And we are so disconnected in so many ways now that we the pendulum has swung so far over that to your point, we yeah. have to start studying those things to look at what were we always doing because some of those key things yeah. that innate primal part of us right. there's so much wisdom there.
0: Oh, definitely, without without a doubt. And my thesis is on this, and I've kind of said this to you already, but my whole thesis is that since we've become di- more disconnected from nature, since we've moved out of communities or tribes as, like, our hunter-gatherer ancestors had, and since this, through this process of agriculture, industrialization, uh, urbanization, we've become siloed off and individualized. And I feel like the antidote, like for happiness is essentially reconnecting with that community and reconnecting in nature and of course we can't maybe go back and I don't necessarily want to go back to those hunter-gatherer times but there's something to be said there right so that's my whole thesis I don't know if if I just solved the happiness thing right there in the first five minutes of our (laughs) podcast but um, that's kind of what I'm thinking yeah
1: I love that and and it's so true because even, so there's a um, researcher at a Harvard from the adult development study that found that the number one predictor of both long-term health and happiness is social connection. Right. And when I think of that idea of connection, it's a very natural extension to think about connection beyond humans, connection mm. to our environment. Right. And mm. so I think it's, it's an Critical element of that equation. I really, we're not separate people. We are social creatures on a planet here together, coexisting with so many different organisms and plants and animals that to think that we are in these bubbles and more and more Mm -hmm. we're putting ourselves in these bubbles, right? We're communicating with each other, not even in person anymore, virtually. We are definitely getting to that, yeah. Social things like there's so much that's changing and we're so far from where we were when we first started. And a lot of it is, is kind of bringing us back to what was always there.
0: Right. It's, it really is interesting that, um, well, I mean, yeah, we'll chat about it much more, but I find through community and the struggle, and I mean, this is just it here, here we are at your parents' house. Yeah. Recordings. The house, I the, grew house up the house in. you grew up in, right? And I mean, when I'm around you, I'm smiling big. Um, it just seems to be the way it is. We have a lot to talk about, a lot of exciting things and they're always smiling, but what again, going back to my thesis, this kind of proves it. I mean, I walk in here, I'm in your family's house. You've got a big family, a mm-hmm. lot of love. And I know your mom, your mom's actually my supervisor at school and she was a personal training client of mine. Yeah. That's actually how I met you was through your mom.
1: Eight years ago. Right. Yeah, some, some, yeah.
0: Exactly. So and here, here I am just feeling at home and feeling happy as I come into this space, right? So as, you know, we might complicate things in that, but I, again, that social connection with family and tribe and community and through those struggles that you have with those people, because those relationships obviously can be the hardest at times.
1: For sure. But they
0: can also be the most rewarding and most enriching. Yeah, experiences.
1: It's absolutely true. And even it's interesting because so we're in London, Ontario right now, recording uh, where I grew up. And I live downtown Toronto now. And like to this idea of coming home, one of the things that I've sort of been learning about is really it's so cliche, you know, uh, that home is where the heart is. Yeah. But sometimes some of those sayings, the wisdom in them is actually very, very deep. Yeah. And one of the things I'm realizing about home is home is not a place, home is a feeling. Mm. And when you were saying about, you know, coming here and feeling welcome in a part of that community, it's not a geographical thing necessarily. It's the environment and mm-hmm. the people and, right. and what is around you. And that, that's such a beautiful thing because right. then knowing that, that, knowing that home is a feeling, you can create that anywhere. Right. You have the opportunity potentially to create that other anywhere.
0: That's, That is very interesting too because I can attest to that 100% um, through the last couple of years of my life mm-hmm. going on this pilgrimage, having been divorced and, and separating with a company, I had some time to sit in the woods and be with myself but who I was whose woods I was in was my parents and my family and they took me in so I called it depends on you know if it's like if it was linkedin I called it I was on sabbatical yeah. if it was like instagram I was on a I was on a pilgrimage yeah. and so I was on a pilgrimage because it, it felt like that to me going back home finding that and in that process just tapping in and having a greater capacity for happiness and love and all that stuff that is truly the most important and it was there for me when I needed it the most through those, mm. through those hard times. Right. So.
1: And, and I, I think that it's, it's true. Like you're saying it's there for me. And I think it always is. Mm. And then things get noisy yeah, and we have to get quiet. And in particular, I feel like nature has this like amplifying effect because of silence. I don't know if it's just cause there's no outlets out there or what <laughs> it is, yeah. but there is, something really profound about getting quiet
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and finding that stillness and then tapping into our wisdom because I truly believe that it's Mm -hmm. always there within us. Right. And then we get busy and notifications come and to-do lists come and busyness comes and work comes and this and that. And we get so caught up in that, that we aren't able to sit and get quiet. And right. we need things like taking sabbaticals, taking trips, mm-hmm. doing those things to allow us to tap into or to really mm-hmm. sit with ourselves, to ask ourselves those questions that are like deep burning within us. Right.
0: That's how, I mean, yeah, we recenter ourselves in those times, in the quiet, mm-hmm. and we can, in those times, hopefully know what it is that we even love or that makes us happy, right? And yeah. we're sometimes so distracted or told you should, you should, this should make you happy or, you know, expectations we put on ourselves or others put on us, that doesn't make us happy. And when we sit quietly, we always know what it is that, I mean, hopefully we know what it is that makes us happy,
1: right? You know, it's, it's so interesting you say that. So when I'm doing happiness research, often if I'm, if I'm talking to research, research participants, I will ask some open-ended questions. And oftentimes I'll ask, well, what makes you happy? And one of the things that has really struck me is how often either I get a blank stare or a really confused face Mm -hmm. because we don't actually oftentimes think about what makes us happy. And then my next question Mm. is, are you happy? And usually the answer is no. And I thought about it. I'm like, well, if we don't know what makes us happy, no wonder we're not happy. And even though happiness is universal and Uh, We all want to live a happy life. Mm -hmm. If we don't know what makes us happy, then how do we know we're even on track for that? Right. And like it's it's those little things like that that are just so profound in terms of understanding. Okay, well, if we don't take the time to ask Mm -hmm. ourselves, if we don't know what makes us happy, then no wonder we aren't feeling happy.
0: It's and it's it's interesting too. There's so many things vying for our attention this day, and and we will definitely talk more about social media and that. But these distractions again at our original state i'm just kind of keep going back to this in my mind and maybe hitting the dead horse that's a horrible saying by the way i don't like that saying at all but anyways do you know what i, I don't, don't like what's that
1: um <laughs> two birds with one stone oh yeah because i'm like why do i want to kill two birds
0: i did that the other day though do you know well, what I like, like, not the other day but like i did that uh, recently in, in hunting yes i was oh, actually so, you might so that want was so, to, so that was actually i was like hey i <laughs> one stone i got two birds yeah it was
1: so now i see two coconuts with one rock
0: Two coconuts with one. Hey, that's clever. No, you're not a hunter. Right? No, I like that actually. That's very good. Um, and my my little side rant and your side rant <laughs> took me right off my train of thought <laughs> there, as far as where I was going with uh, with happiness. But you know what? That's it's good because I'm gonna I'm gonna get back to where I wanted to ask you. Is the same thing I ask every guest is your story, your biography, mm-hmm. um, which you have a wild biography. Because yes, we've talked about your PhD life, but I also know you're an old school forager and uh, waters water hunter and whatnot. So we'll get into that stuff too. Um, But yeah, tell folks your story into your studies, into happiness. How did you end up there? Um, Because yeah, like going back to what we already said, we had met way back in our physical activity.
1: Yeah. Right. So yeah, you know, we met when I was researching childhood obesity. So I've always been passionate about health my entire life. And so health science was a natural place for me to study in university. And one of the things I've always been passionate about is how do we live the best life ever? You know, we get one shot at life. What can we learn as opposed to like a disease or treatment model where what's wrong and how do we fix it? Mm-hmm. What uh, what really lights me up is figuring out what is great and how do we amplify that? Right. So my undergrad was in health science and I specialized in health promotion. My master's degree, I started focusing more on kids and youth. So I was looking at physical activity, mm-hmm. sedentary behaviors, nutrition, particularly with kids and a lot of childhood obesity work. Uh, and that's when we met. Mm-hmm. And then- from my master's, I went right into my PhD. And during my comprehensive exams, which is the horrible period <laughs> that you're in right now, uh, my topic so, what happens during these exams is you're given a topic. Mm-hmm. And you basically have to read all the literature about it. And then you have to write a paper and you sit in a room and you have an oral exam for three hours. And my I'm looking, topic... I'm looking forward to Oh, it. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, there's a big <laughs> celebration at the end, though. So yes, that's it's right. It's worth it. You earn it. Um, my topic was parent and family-focused interventions to address childhood obesity. Okay. Because when you involve the parents, it's much more efficacious than just involving the children. And uh, so from that, I started looking at the numbers. And... The dropout rates for obesity programs are very, very high. And then also, if you look at a six or a 12-month follow-up, so after the study ends, checking back in with the, the kids in the family at six or at 12 months, mm-hmm. very, very often, everybody goes back to baseline. They just revert right back to baseline as soon as you remove the intervention. Because mm-hmm. lifestyle is mm-hmm. very difficult to change. Right. And I started thinking about that because of, I've, I felt the futility of going through the motions of doing a study that at a six or a 12 month, isn't really gonna be making that much impact anymore. Right. And then also yeah. I was using, and, and I know you can relate to this, I was using BMI, body mass index, as the cutoff for inclusion in my study. Right. So if a child had a BMI above the 85th percentile for their age and gender, then they could be in my study. And if they were below, then no. So then I thought, why am I using weight as a cutoff yeah. here? I mean, you know, and I'm sure many of you listening know, that just because you're over, like our weight doesn't necessarily indicate our health, as right? Our health, no. You can be overweight and obese and For be healthy. Sure. Yep. You cannot be, fit, be overweight yeah. or obese and be unhealthy. So yeah. why am I using weight as a metric to determine inclusion in my study? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I thought, okay, well, if weight doesn't really matter necessarily, what does? Right. And I started looking into the literature. And I actually, that's how I found happiness research. Mm. It was actually um, a friend, I was at Pilates one day where all good things happen. (laughs) And uh, the woman, I go on the reformers and my Pilates teacher always had two reformers. Mm. So the woman that was on me with me that day was at Prophet Ivy, which is the business school at Western. And she said to me, you know, Jillian, you're really entrepreneurial, maybe you should come to Ivy. We have like a health stream here. Mm -hmm. Or Mm. check out my sister's work. She's at Acadia, which is the university out east here in Canada, and she studies sustainable happiness. And I was like, what's that? So I went home that night, went down the, the PubMed and the, the literature rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. And so sustainable happiness was looking at happiness from an environmental lens. So this is something oh, wow. I think you'll be really interested in. I didn't in. know that. And so her work fascinated me. Mm. And then as I was, so it was more like an environmental perspective on happiness. Okay. And then I thought, like, this light bulb went off, and I'm like, you could study happiness? Like, that's the yeah, thing? Yeah. And then I started looking into happiness research and found that happiness is so correlated with so many positive health outcomes. Mm-hmm. And it acts like yeah. a buffer to help mitigate some of those challenging times. Like, even the effect physiologically of cortisol in the body, when you compare unhappy people to happy people, mm-hmm. it isn't as profound of right. an impact when wow. you're happier. So I thought, that's going after what I want. And really, yeah. if you think about what drives Your behaviors. We want to be happy, and so even if I need to exercise and I need to eat right, I know that I do in order to live a healthy life. If I'm doing it because I don't want to get cardiovascular disease or I want to lower my risk of diabetes, Mm -hmm. it's very different than how Mm -hmm. I feel when I eat those foods. So we're going after the same outcome, but from a different level. Right. And so that's how I started studying happiness, and I it really it's been one of the biggest gifts of my life to be able to have the opportunity to dig into that.
0: It's interesting how the universe throws you exactly what you need. Cause it was like, yeah, we were both doing physical activity research and, um, just still felt unfulfilled uh-huh. in that right now. Ever since we've started studying physical and activity, we've become more physically inactive and sedentary. Yes. So it's like, again, another one of those things, like let's study the sedentary aspect or let's study something different, right? Like same thing with nutrition. It's interesting to me. We study nutrition so much and complicated it. It's got to the point now where it's like, we're studying fasting and it's like, what is not eating? So it's like the, again, the yeah. opposite, which I think is really interesting. Um, so yeah, you've said it a couple of times and I would agree and yeah. I, I, not to get bogged down in semantics or anything, but as a, as a fellow PhD student or mm-hmm. classmate of yours, I kind of want to get into a little bit. What is happiness then? Like, what is the definition? If you were to do a study, you obviously have to define this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So what was the definition of happiness that you like yeah. to use? Actually, yeah, what's like your, like what's the scientific one? And then what's for you? What's happiness for you? Ooh. Yeah, what's happiness for you? Let's start with that one.
1: Okay, so yeah, you know, it's interesting. When I started studying happiness, it, it's happiness is kind of like love, right? Where mm-hmm. sometimes I feel like, and this is my personal opinion, that it can be really difficult to encapsulate a feeling in words. Like, I feel like our language can fall short oh, in certain the, ways of being able to capture so true. the depth and the breadth of the feeling. Yes. So, There's a lot of
0: that going on right now, which I just want to point out. It's interesting yeah. that happiness is definitely one of those words. It doesn't, we don't really... Adequately describe that Mm-mm. feeling with that one word. Yeah. And
1: and it's universal in a way because we don't need to define that term when we talk to people. It's unique in that I bet every single person on this planet has a different definition of happiness and what sure. happiness is to them. So then it becomes more complicated. Happiness can look different, feel different, be expressed differently. Right. So like to your point, it can be very difficult when you're a researcher because you have to define your terms. Right. So okay, I'll start with the the definition that I use in my work and then okay. I'll sort of put my personal spin on that. Okay. So the definition I use, which is one that's frequently cited in the literature, comes from Dr. Sonia Lubomirsky. And she defines happiness as the experience of joy, contentment, and positive well being combined with a sense that one's life is good, meaningful, and worthwhile. Okay. And I I like this definition. It's the one I used and it's frequently used uh, because it kind of touches on different pieces of happiness. Mm -hmm. There's that, that, that in the moment, that joy, and, and I love that she's contentment too, because sometimes happiness isn't doing a touchdown da- down dance at the end of the Super Bowl. right? right? It's like, woo, yeah. Exactly. You know, woo, it's, yeah. Contentment. You're walking out of mm-hmm. a music, um, a music, a yoga, or it could be a music yeah. class too, a yoga class, right? Yeah. You're, you've or had a, a morning meditation, meditation yes. with a
0: nice morning do I contentment, happiness, it's like a
1: and subtler version of it. And contentment to me yeah. lacks striving and striving to me, mm-hmm. uh, is often associated with, with wanting or lack and lack of happiness. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the other piece of the definition talks about purpose and meaning. And to me, that is a really critical piece of, of happiness. Whereas when I first started studying happiness, I don't think I would have really fully understood how important that piece is. Yeah. Um, and yet the more I started to to do the work and to look at my life and figure out what and ask myself those questions, well, what makes me happy? Mm-hmm. And to your point about like we were talking earlier about how we're all so- social creatures and we don't operate in, in isolation, knowing how we relate to other people and finding purpose and meaning in what Mm. we're doing. If you look across the globe, uh, even in in Japan, they have this term called Ikigai. Okay. And essentially, so in Japan, they don't have a word for retirement because in the same sense that we do here, Because what drives them is their ikigai, their their meaning. And it has sort of different elements, but it's not just work-related. And it's interesting when you look at the research here in North America, the death rates and the rates of people um, having different health complications when they Mm -hmm. retire is much higher. And oftentimes when you look into why, it's because once you remove their work, Mm -hmm. they don't have purpose and meaning.
0: Oh, wow. And it's, it's a
1: really important piece of the puzzle. And that's and if you look at why we do what we do at the end of the day, a lot of times, you know, we want to touch other people. We want to live a legacy, leave a legacy. Mm -hmm. We want to to contribute. And that piece of satisfaction, I think, is another element of the definition that is is really, really important and one that I didn't necessarily have an appreciation for the depth and the value of until recently. And and it really is profound.
0: That's really, really. I'm glad that we went through that because, yes, I think you said it right purpose and meaning, you can see the subjectivity in there essentially, or I guess that's a proper term mm-hmm. but yeah, it's like, it's anybody can define it however they want yeah. essentially. So yeah, how do you put your little, what was your little spin?
1: So to me, one of the things that I've realized, and first of all, so when I first started studying happiness, like if, if I'm really, if I really get honest with myself, mm-hmm. I realized, and I didn't realize it at the time, I realized it reflecting back, you know, the saying you were here to teach what we need to learn. Mm. I think that I've always been a naturally happier person, mm-hmm. and yet I think I wanted to be happier, mm-hmm. and and a lot of us do. And so mm-hmm. I started studying happiness from a personal p- interest perspective as well, like figuring out how do I be happy. And right. I really thought the goal was figure out how do I be happy all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have uh. these challenging emotions. I don't want to feel stressed. I don't want to yeah. feel anxious. I don't want to feel depressed. I want to feel happy all the time. And one of the things that really struck me when I started to research happiness was that the goal in life is not to be happy all the time. And I'm a happiness researcher. And if you're listening right now, <laughs> the goal in life is not to be happy yeah. all the time. Part of the challenge with happiness is we put this pressure on ourselves to feel like if we're not feeling happy, something is wrong.
0: That's how I would have defined mine for a very long time. If I'm not mm-hmm. there, it was just like a, an attachment to that feeling and yeah. constantly chasing the, the happiness dragon. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah.
1: Exactly. And yeah. and I think especially like, you know, we've, we've known each other for a while and gone through some challenging life situations, um, mm-hmm. as we've known each other, you know, we've divorced and challenges with relationships yep. and, you know, figuring starting out, businesses, starting things, businesses right? yeah. moving cities yep. and yeah. looking back, I realize a lot of those really difficult or challenging times that I've had in my life mm-hmm. have given me the opportunity to see resilience and to show myself my strength and what I'm capable of. Right. And that's an important piece too. It's not about eliminating all of those difficult right. times. It's not. Right. It's about building up your toolbox so that you feel you have the capacity to face whatever is going to come at you because the reality is life happens. Right, and right. Or, and a life going through with no challenges, to me, I don't. for me, that's not a life worth living. Right. I want to show up for my life and turn up the volume on life. And happiness to me is when you turn up the volume on life when you're not just going through the motions, right. when you're living a directed and purposeful and meaningful life with intention.
0: Right, you're diving into the, you know, the shadows, the dark mm-hmm. spots. And through that, yeah, it's that capacity. It's You increase capacity. So however deep and dark you maybe go on this end or whatever life throws at you or whatever you need to learn, through that, you, on the other end of it, people can't see my hands, but my one, my left hand's way far out to the left. And then on the right hand side, once we've gone to those spots, we have a greater capacity to love, which I think is, mm-hmm. is awesome. And, and it's interesting because again, through a rewilding or nature connection lens here, we look at the fact that this is a huge freaking paradox. And I love that because that's the one thing in nature that's constant is paradox. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, yeah, as we pursue happiness we essentially, in in a sense, I mean, I don't know if this is correct, but yeah, we would not necessarily become happy. It's, it's, it's interesting is all, Mm because you're not, it's being mindful, I think, in the present moment of whatever is to come and being aware of, hey, I'm happy or, hey, I'm Mm -hmm. not happy. Right. And then through that process, I guess, through looking at the shadows, we know, okay, well, this is what makes me not happy. So from that, we can start to decide what makes us happy, right? Which I think is really
1: really the exactly. magic comes. Yeah, for sure. I love that you touched on this idea of pursuing happiness because that was the other thing. And, and this is very common, right? If, if we start to really pay attention to our thoughts and the things that we think about, it's oftentimes I will be happy when, fill in the ah, blank, right? I will be right. happy when... I finish my PhD. I will be happy when I meet my partner. I will be happy when I have X amount of dollars in the bank, when I drive, whatever whatever it right. is, we all have those things. And the reality is that happiness is a practice. It's not a destination. Mm-hmm. So mm. it's one of those things that we have to work at our entire life and we never arrive at happiness, right? right. It's the same as yeah, like, it's interesting. like, you would never go into the gym and mm-hmm. have an amazing workout, and leave the gym, and be like, you know what? I've reached fitness, <laughs> right? The I idea. I did. I did. No, that'd be sweet the though. The idea. Right? Like it's laughable. Yeah. No. Or it is. like you'd never drink a, a green smoothie with all the superfoods, right? And then be like, I've reached nutritional wellness. I don't that's need it. to eat again. No. Nope. If we want to live, we that have to eat. That would be nice too, though. Okay. Right? <laughs> but for some right. reason, That's not. That's not the way it is. And that's for the discomfort. With yeah. Some right. we think in yeah. that way. What is it? But Nothing it's not, in life it's a comes that way. Yeah. It's something that ebbs and flows. It's something that requires commitment, just like fitness, just like eating healthy, just like any um, getting, you know, brought a good sleep. Mm-hmm. We have to work at it and it takes ongoing effort. Right. It doesn't just passively happen now, to us.
0: Now everyone's just saying, darn it, it's just like mm-hmm. prepping food and going to the gym or walking outdoors or meditating. You're saying this is another thing that I have to do. And, and then that makes me think, as someone who's worked with you know, individuals on their health goals before, that people are just less likely to be, or less likely to do, it just sounds like, yeah, darn it, more work I guess. So are people happy, like with all the research and that, I'm just kind of curious, mm-hmm. like, I know you're doing some studies right now looking at uh, happiness at work, but what are, what's the literature say about people's happiness levels in this day and age?
1: Yeah, so I mean, in general, if we're talking like top, top, top population level here, people are happy-ish. Happy-ish. So, Uh, and, and just a distinction too, happiness, um, and depression or lack of happiness, being unhappy and depression are different things too. So there is the medical side of this. When people, um, need medication, they need medical intervention. Uh, they don't have the building blocks. Like if your body isn't producing serotonin or dopamine, Right. no amount of you know practicing gratitude is going to make you sure. happy so you need the building blocks yeah. you need you'd the bricks to to you'd the have house. to
0: spend a lot of time in nature i think before you start to i mean in this day and age we've gone so far mm-hmm. and yes there are some antidotes with lifestyle and you know holistic manners but you're you're you probably right to say that you can't yoga your way out of
1: everything exactly right? yeah, you can't sure. green juice no. your way out of so yeah, yeah. so there is that caveat and if you're listening and you're not sure that it's really an opportunity to talk to your doctor and figure out sort of what's working for you um, that being said, what's interesting about happiness. So uh, generally like people are happy, but they want to be happier. So most people say their life is pretty good. Not great.
0: Not great. Okay. Interesting. Um,
1: there are people on either end, mm-hmm. right? But on average, if you just sort of average out people.
0: Okay. Um, That's what my, my assumption would have been. Mm-hmm. That's kind of why I asked you. Cause I was like, yeah, just assuming
1: not, I, I, not I think happy. Like, in my experiences, people are kind of, on average, I'm sort of. This is population level. There's a lot of variability here, of mm-hmm, course. Mm-hmm. People are going through the motions. They're mm-hmm. they're getting up. They're going to work. They're coming home. They're taking care of their kids. They're doing all these things, and they're they're going through life. Right. They're, Without really knowing maybe yes. what
0: it, what makes them happy.
1: Exactly. We don't you know? take the time to. It, it's interesting. Even if I ask if you right now you're listening, and I um, you know said what are the top three things you need to do to improve your health right now. Most of the time, the answers that I hear are things like get more sleep, eat better, move my body, maybe meditate, Uh, focus on my happiness Mm -hmm. is very infrequently in the top few. And yet, it's one of the most important, impactful things that we can do for our health. Not Mm -hmm. only our health, but the health of those around us. So it's kind of interesting from that lens. Uh, The research also shows that we're pretty good at assessing our own happiness, like if you ask someone how okay. happy they are, right. they're pretty good pretty at, honest. Uh, at right. figuring out how happy they are. You can usually tell you what we're not good at is figuring out what makes us happy.
0: Ah, uh, I see.
1: That and right. Sense. And it kind of yep. goes back to that. I will be happy when thing that I talked about earlier. So right. it's interesting because the things that we think are going to make us happy. And I mean, if you think about in your life, if you're listening right now, you know, you always wanted, there's something in your life you always want and then you got it. And how do you feel? right we're not happy for the rest of our life after right so that that's an interesting thing too is figuring out you know well, what truly makes us happy and that's where the getting quiet sitting with it putting intention putting deliberate effort and practice to be able to answer those seemingly simple very difficult
0: questions right yeah knowing what makes us happy is, i think it is so 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 important and uh It does take practice because if you think about it from an evolutionary standpoint, we evolved Mm -hmm. with a negativity bias, right? So, I mean, it makes perfect sense because if there's a bush that's moving and it's got a weird waft like it's a tiger and I'm living in the Saharan plains of our Africa or wherever it might be that my ancestors were, I need to be very cognizant of that bush and I need to be able to run away. So we are hardwired to the negativity. So like you say, it's like taking time sitting quiet without that negativity just firing in a safe space mm-hmm. and actually saying, hey, what is it that makes me happy? For interesting. Sure. Yeah. You know, I
1: love that you brought up the negativity bias too because it's one of those things like you receive 10 compliments in a day, one person says one bad thing about <laughs> your hair, yeah. and what are you thinking about when uh, you go to bed that night? Right. Your hair. Right. And it's interesting because like how I was talking about happiness as a practice, this is a good example of that, in that if we want to think happy, positive thoughts, we have to work to rewire our brain to mm-hmm. look for those things, because that's not our default setting. And yeah. like you said, oh,
0: it's tough. from
1: an ancestral, an ancestral perspective, this is why, we understand why. But if we want to choose to live a different life, mm-hmm. we have to choose to live a different life, and it requires work to start to to look for the good things what's exciting about that yeah, though is right. that research shows that when you start to do that it gets easier over time right. it's just like a habit right you're training mm-hmm. a new habit essentially so you over time like even when i first started practicing gratitude um which has been a very powerful practice for me and gratitude is highly correlated yeah, was with was happiness ask about that. um mm-hmm it's interesting if I just kind of observe myself at first, I would have to, I'd have my journal and at the end of the day, you know, write down three things I'm grateful for. Mm -hmm. And then as time went on, I started even noticing in my conversations, I would say things like, Oh, I'm so grateful that I had this really delicious tea Mm -hmm. today. Right. And it, it starts to not only be situational in that one thing, but once you start to pattern that habit, it trickles into your thoughts and your language and what you talk about with other people and what you attune to in terms of what you're reading or what interests you. So it really is this cool way of, and it's, it's so easy again
0: to get distracted with what's in the news or what's on your, your blog feed or whatever type of feed you're scrolling through. And it's just, just it, it just Mm -hmm. can be so distracting. Um, and take our, take our eyes off of what, yeah, what really is making us happy. Well, I think yeah, I, I do want to get into some individual things we can do to cultivate happiness, and mm-hmm. that we'll chat more about mindset, I'm sure. But uh, before we do that, in regards to that whole pursuit paradox, um, I think, and again, going back to distractions, it's kind of obvious to me, at least from like a from my perspective, that we are distracted with some things that we've never had before, to the extreme that we have So things like advertising, mm-hmm. and we're constantly in at least Western culture because that's the way I often look at things is in Western culture we're told that we're not enough until we have the Mm -hmm. new car and you already did say that so how much of an impact or I mean is there any research out there I guess I should say that shows maybe like an association between um, folks who are on social media all the time and unhappiness or is there anything out there that's saying that like this Disconnection, even from nature. I guess we can go there as well. But the disconnection from nature is, is leading towards unhappiness. Mm. What out there is like keeping us from keeping uh, us yeah, oh, in the modern world.
1: This is a great question. Isn't it? It's interesting. So when I was <laughs> when I was at Western, um, I taught in the Faculty of Health Science for four years while I was there doing my PhD. And one of the courses that I taught um, was a new course called Health and Social Media. And That's so right. because it was a new course, I created all the content myself. So I had to go really digging into the literature, looking at social media and health. And so, well, that was a lot of work. It yeah. was also a really great learning opportunity. Well, I remember you doing remember? that so <laughs> you were
0: the perfect person for the yeah. job. And yeah, you did a great job doing it too. Thank you. Yeah.
1: And one of the things uh, um, on the first day, I remember I have this slide and it's, it's a picture of Spider-Man. And it's a quote from the Spider-Man movie that is originally a Voltaire quote. Um, With great power comes great responsibility. And to me, this is how I view social media. There are a lot of ways where it can be a tool. It can be a tool to connect. It can be a tool to ask questions, to learn. Even like, like for example, you were touching on foraging hmm. earlier. I love foraging. Hmm. I've been foraging for years. Mushrooms in particular are my favorite. I want to know some of your um, spots, Jill. Okay. Oh, no. we should go you're not, in the,
0: you're, not, yeah, you're not in the city anymore. So may, I know. I found talk. lion's
1: man, in Kamoka. Oh, no way. Yeah. Really? Kamoka's like 15 minutes from I where saw we are you right getting,
0: now. I saw you at a water spring in Guelph, and I was like, I have yeah. friends in Guelph, so I'm up yeah, there. Yeah, I'm up
1: Findaspring.com. If yes. you're listening right now and you want to find springs, findaspring.com. Yeah, we haven't talked about that yet on the um, show. I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah. it's a great website to find where natural springs are. So, mm-hmm. um, I was, uh, I was like looking. I see social media as a tool for that in terms of that. At the same time, when we start mindlessly scrolling or we're, you know, comparing somebody's front uh, beautiful shiny moments on social media to uh, the back part of our life, it can really right. The set real us stuff, up yeah. for yeah. having like really challenging times for it can wreak oh, havoc yeah. on our psychological functioning on how we think about ourselves, our self-esteem our self-efficacy mm. our self-worth we've got enough
0: thoughts going through our own mind and now all of a sudden you're like inundated yet yeah. again if you're doing it mindlessly even if it is mindless and you're not mm-hmm. even giving a half second like energetically that stuff whatever is in that message is essentially rolling on to you and just another thing to process just another yeah. uh, tab we got to close in the browser of the mind right and exactly totally. and
1: to your point about like you know There is so much we can't control in our life. And one of the things we can control is what we see around us, our Mm -hmm. environment. We talked about that. So, who are you following on social media? Are those accounts making you feel good about yourself? And maybe it's time for a cleanse. I like that. Yeah. And even um, there's research that shows that watching even just three minutes of negative news in the morning can affect your mood six to eight hours later.
0: The whole day, basically. Yeah. So you yeah, think well. about,
1: you know, having the news on in the background. Oh, whatever mm. is on the background. No, those things matter. Yeah. And the environment, what's on your desktop screen? What's on right. the screen of your phone? What are around you in your environment? And are you putting those things there intentionally and deliberately?
0: Yeah.
1: And right. one of the things that has been a really powerful learning for myself these past few years is I want to live a life with intention. And whether that's an intention to be happier, whether that's an intention to whatever my goals are or yeah. however I want to feel, whatever my values are, I want to live with intention in alignment with those. Mm-hmm. And that's where the environment piece and the happiness piece and the social media piece comes in because we're not, if living with intention mm-hmm. means you're not mindlessly scrolling. You're using social right. media as a you're tool. on it. You're using it. You want to see what your friends and family are doing. You you know, I want to share with my grandparents what I'm up to. It's intentionally done. It's not I'm a passive consumer. And that for social media and for every other area of my life is something Mm -hmm. that's a really big priority for me because everything that I've learned, I believe that in order to be happy, we have to have intention in what we're doing.
0: I love it. I always, that's like, I've said that so many times in the show. It's all about intention. Mm-hmm. Your intention behind what you're doing is everything. If there's no intention there, then it's, it's in a sense, it's mind, mindless mm-hmm. wandering. Um, one thing I do and one thing I've noticed more so, especially in like spiritual circles that I roll with, and I don't know if you could say the same, but posting, posting the shit, posting the shadow saying, Hey, I'm, I'm and not just like using as Like I'm having a rough day and being, but like actually like kind of where you're at, like it's almost like accountability for a, a public journal in a sense. Mm-hmm. And obviously not everything in a journal is going to be publicized, Mm -hmm. but I don't know what, I don't know what your thoughts are. Like I I will do it. Um, Some people, I think people with heavy hearts or like people who are uh, into that sort of things will post back. Obviously people are like, if it's Instagram, for example, they're going scrolling quick and looking for pictures. So sometimes not the spot for it, but I sometimes wonder about posting things that, um, our trials and tribulations we had to go through so that m- they might be able to, as you say, like inspire or make somebody else feel good. What are your thoughts on that whole, cause it's not something that I think people do often, but I'm seeing it a little bit more now and then.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's interesting when I first, I mean, I grew up, I think, um, you know, I had a flip phone, so Facebook and stuff came when I was in university, I mm-hmm. think for me anyway. And, uh, so it, it's interesting because we're never taught how to use these tools. right? And so for a long time, again, back to intention, I was using this because everybody was using it, but I didn't have a lot of intention. And then as I started, I was in school and I, I got really passionate about sharing health and wellness information. I realized that social media was a great platform for that. And then I had a hard time separating sort of this idea of a brand mm. and me being uh, Jillian. Yeah. And I used to be like, nope. I'm not a brand, I'm Jillian, I'm sharing what I'm sharing. But the lines are blurry sometimes. And for me, my passion versus my personal life versus things, it it can overlap. And so then I started to think, okay, I need to figure out how I'm using this as a tool. And I heard Brene Brown say this, and I use this now as my litmus test. She doesn't share anything on social media until the outcome or anybody's comment. She's so fully processed what was going on that anybody's comment doesn't affect how she feels. Oh, wow. And, you know, it's kind of like if, if you're going through a breakup, for example, at the beginning, it's so raw mm-hmm. and you don't even really want to hear people because you're so vulnerable in that state that people can say things and it can really affect you. Right. But eventually you get to the point where you're okay right. and time or whatever happens, you get to the point where someone might say something and you're like, eh, whatever, it doesn't right. bother you anymore. Mm-hmm. So for me, that's a litmus that's test cool. that I use for what I share. At the same time, um, and I, you, you knew me when I was—I went through a brief stint where I was a fitness model, mm-hmm, right? And I ended up winning this um, Oxygen magazine model search. And Oxygen magazine is a, a very popular women's fitness magazine. And when you're a fitness model, like the goal is get on the cover, get on the cover, get in the magazine. Yep. So I enter this model search, I win, and then I start seeing the other side of fitness. I see the photoshopping. Yeah. I see that I drink tons and tons of water and then I stopped drinking water for 24 hours right before Mm -hmm. I was eating rice cakes and honey and Mm. I was like my body fat was so low that I was like amenorrheic there was a lot of things going on Mm -hmm. and we talked about family earlier and I had I have three younger sisters and I started to realize that this idea of health Mm -hmm. and wellness is not me in this photo right and that's just me pre when they photoshop you and they make you taller and you know they paint on your abs more and so I realized that There's so much out there that isn't even reality. So we're sitting here and we're comparing ourselves to something that isn't even real. We're completely setting ourselves up to fail. Yeah. So one of the other commitments that I made to myself, and I still do to this day, I don't let people Photoshop my photos.
0: Right. Yeah. Um,
1: like if, cool. if there's like a table and I need to do whatever, but in terms of my right. actual physical yeah. F- feature, I'm yeah. No, you're not making me taller. If I have a pimple, I have a pimple. Right. We right. all do. Yes. Um, so w- that is something. You else. wild woman, you. That's so courageous, <laughs> yeah, oh, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> so awesome. <though>. So <laughs> that's that's the thing is, I can't. I can't change a lot of it. It, Mm. it, It's it's bigger than an individual person. What I can do is I can choose how I want to participate. I like it. And so that's something for me that I I try to, and I I do think to your point about sharing, not just your bright, shiny moments. Like I I sometimes I'll show, especially on stories and stuff on Instagram stories. I've been sitting at my computer for eight hours a day. And I think sometimes people, they see those moments and they think that's all you do. And even like Uh. if I'm on a TV segment, Mm-hmm. My segment might be anywhere from three to seven minutes. And I probably True. put 20 hours of prep work into writing that script, into practicing, into rehearsal, into yeah. hair. Make, like there's so many pieces that go into that. Mm-hmm. And that backstory yeah. oftentimes we don't share. And then when we start to compare ourselves, right. And we're not doing the same amount of work or it's different. We don't, we don't understand. Yeah. Right? So I think that that's a good point to your point about, you know, really sharing those other pieces yeah. and trying to open up the conversation to just be more real. Well, that's where I was going
0: with this. Cause if we are moving to this online community and our communities, if we're not going to live in tribes and, you know, with our local families and neighbors really close, then with this online community, if it is going to increase happiness, it's like, let's, let's, let's Let's maybe get into our struggles a little bit with each other and let's, let's share those so that we can together as an online community, if whatever your, whatever your tag is that you like to follow, but like kind of really getting real in there and sharing those tough times. Cause I, I just feel like there might be a little bit more room for a greater capacity for happiness when you are. Yeah. And and happiness
1: isn't like we talked about happiness isn't just smiling all the time. Yeah. Sometimes happiness is going through tough times Mm -hmm. and surviving. Yeah. Sometimes happiness is facing your fear. Oh Yeah. And so that's like a piece of it too, and sharing that on social media.
0: Yeah. So your story reminds me of my vision quest and how going through those tough times, like it was hell at points when I'm out in the woods, 96 hours fasting from all things. And, you know, at nighttime, I remember one night, like whether it was like really vivid nightmares or dreams, um, something always happened at night when, again, it was fearful as fuck so I'm like (laughs) you know and I think one night it was raccoons at first I thought it was coyotes but I realized after it wouldn't have been coyotes fighting but like raccoons fighting about 40 yards away from my little like circle area and I'm just like terrified right Mm -hmm. and now when I say this story every time it's like I have a smile on my face and it's like what is it about those horrible really tough times that when we go through I'm like this is horrible but afterwards we tell them and it creates like such happiness and joy in our life right
1: yeah you know and it's interesting even like Sometimes when we go through really, really hard times, we have to go through them. And I think sometimes we also have a tendency to try to find purpose and meaning while we're in the process, mm. right? Mm. I don't know. I, I know For I myself, do I do. I'm like, Wait, yeah. why is this happening? What is the meaning? Right. Sometimes you got to go through it right. and and that's okay.
0: Yeah, just and being in And that's part that, of yeah. being in it and yeah. not
1: having to try to conceptualize or contextualize things mm-hmm. At mm-hmm. all the time. Uh, and then at the same time, I think that sometimes it really is that post-reflection. We talked about earlier about the importance of getting quiet and those things. The magic is often in that post quiet when we can integrate or reflect or Mm -hmm. even because the reality is life isn't like this, beautiful math equation where we're going to solve for it at the end sometimes meaning is life is not understanding or not having all the pieces
0: that's just it and that's why i love school so much is because it it shows the limits on knowledge right we can't just say here's what you do to be happy go Mm -hmm. right like it's the farther you get down into these things you ask more questions and you realize yeah there's no real one answer to this right oh my gosh welcome to the story of my life right now where
1: so when i was doing my phd one of the things that i i told myself to motivate myself and, and you'll soon discover this is that it's your dissertation that you write at the end of it is very long. I think mine ended up being like four or five hundred pages with, with appendices okay. and references. Oh Don't get too scared. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> tables. Uh, and yet... I thought, okay, you know what I'm going to do? Because mm-hmm. as is the case with a lot of academic work, it's not widely read or accessible to most people. And so I thought, what I'm going to do is the content in my PhD is interesting. And I'm learning this amazing stuff about happiness that will really help people. So what I'm going to do is when I'm done, I'm going to take it and I'm going to publish it as a book. Mm-hmm. And that yes. was kind of my, yeah. my carrot that right. was motivating me was, Jillian, this is going to live beyond academia. You're going to write this book and it's mm-hmm. going to help people. And then when I was kind of going through it at the end, I started reflecting, I'm like, I find it really hard to write a book about mm-hmm. happiness because I, if I had to write a book about what makes me happy, the book that I would write for myself would be different than the book for you, Sean. Right. It'd be yeah. different for the book that you're, if you're listening. So A, that's a challenge. And then B, the underlying psychology of that idea I really started to struggle with right. because I can't tell you how to be happy. Yeah. The only person that knows how to be happy, how you can right. be happy, Sean, is you. And we can use science and research to inform us, to tell us sort of where to start looking. But at the end of the day, nobody, nobody can tell us what makes us happy and knows what makes us happy except for ourselves. So it's disempowering in a way to write a book where I'm going to tell you how to be happy.
0: Totally. Right? If you think about it like that. It's so, I mean, we're talking about a spiritual quality here is happiness, right? Joy, peace, love, purpose. All those things are those spiritual qualities. And I'm thinking of one of my mentors, teachers that I asked, I I said, you know, is there a book I can just read about this, like spiritual, like like this, that has it. And it's like, yeah, there has been books before, but as soon as you start to put words to these spiritual qualities, it kind of loses the meaning. I mean, and you look at something like the Bible say there's how many iterations of the Bible and we kind of complicate things and move, you know, Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, it's just like, this is something that you us all individually have to figure out. What is it that makes me happy? Right. So, um, well, let's do that. Let's talk about a few things. Um, people can do for practice, mm-hmm. kind of, again, I'm thinking like on an individual level and like a collective level. Um, but yeah, we've, we've said it many times, like letting go of attachments. These yeah. are things for me anyways, that I find letting go of my attachment to happiness, mm-hmm. right? Um, just accepting what is. And again, not putting expectations on myself that I should always be happy. Right, Um, Those those ones are big for me. The the distraction piece, I think, again, when it looks at advertising, I don't watch a lot of TV. I don't really get hit with a lot of advertising. Um, But I could see that being another one that we could watch anyways. But, yeah, what are some ways we can kind of cultivate happiness on an individual? individual level.
1: Yeah. And you know, um, before we get into some, um, yeah. and I'll definitely share some, some with you, one of the things that I get asked a lot about happiness is, or people will say to me after I give a talk or something, for example, you know, Jillian will say, I'm just not a happy person. Like you seem like a happy person yeah. and I'm not, and it's genetic, you know, or I'm just more of an Eeyore. Mm-hmm. And when we look at the research, about 50% of our total capacity for happiness is genetic. It is a. So you can thank your parents or not. Right. That's about. And this is big data, right? So there's a lot of individual variability. Well, this isn't, yeah.
0: That's very interesting, too. Mm -hmm. And I was going to get in, I mean, this is obviously something I don't think research could speak to, but like looking at ancestral trauma throughout years and this cumulative burden, essentially, that again, I I know we won't be able to quantify or Mm -hmm. really speak to too much, but I'm just, it's kind of interesting that you're saying that this genetic piece and this burden that's been placed on us to figure out what we want to do in life or, you know, all these things that are taking us out of this one nature, but two s- spot where we're with community and with family. So I just think that's interesting, mm-hmm. too, genetically speaking. That's all. Yeah,
1: yeah and so, uh, so if, we, if if genetics are fifty percent, mm. then in the remaining fifty percent, we have about ten percent that's environment. So that only affects about ten percent of our environment. I don't know about you, but when mm-hmm. I first read that, I was mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. really? Like, yeah, you know, that is that's interesting. I, of, kind of I thought it would have been higher. Right. And yeah. so I dug into it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's, what's interesting is that, so as humans, we're adaptive creatures, mm-hmm. so we live our life every single day. So if you drive and you have a long commute in traffic every day, mm-hmm. even though it annoys you, you've actually adapted to it. And so it doesn't have the profound effect that you think. On your happiness, It's like, right. if I ask somebody uh, or if you're listening right now and you've ever lived next sense. to a train track, mm-hmm. the first day you move in, you think the train is going to drive you absolutely up the wall. Right. It's so loud. And then if you go back a little while later, they don't even hear the drink. You don't anymore. hear the drinkle by right. because we adapt. So even though we think and we talked about earlier how we're not as good at figuring out what actually makes us happy, mm-hmm. it's kind of in that same vein in terms of our environment impacts our happiness, but not as profoundly as we think. Right. So makes the sense. the really exciting part of this whole piece is that there's forty percent left. And that forty percent is our thoughts, our actions, and our behaviors. That's the piece that we can actually do something about. Mm-hmm. It's very, you can't really change genetics. You can maybe change gene expression a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult. Changing your environment, again, very difficult. Right. Thinking about our thoughts, our actions, and our behaviors, yeah. that to me is the really the most powerful Place to start. It's a huge piece, and it's something that's within our control. There's so much in our life we cannot control. We can control what we're thinking about. We can control how we show up in the world, how we act, how we Mm -hmm. talk to ourselves, how we talk to other people. And so, when I focus on happiness research, my work focuses on that 40%. What are the things that we can learn to build that 40%? Because Mm -hmm. no matter how happy or unhappy you are right now listening, you absolutely have the capacity to be happier totally. when you focus on that 40 percent, mm-hmm. it can that's be really really powerful so
0: that's huge and that's the thing it's it's the talk that we have to ourselves, mm-hmm. i think right like um you you had said that like we have to get clear on who is whose voice that is talking hey you're not good enough hey you need to try harder you're not smart enough that's hardly ever ourself that's that you know That's the ego. That's the little thought bubbles that we kind of walk into throughout the day. At the end of the day, we know that we are whole, we are good. And we have to, again, going back to the silence. So I, I, yeah, I totally, I totally see the importance of our thoughts, our actions, behaviors, and to get silent and know what are my thoughts, right? What is it that I want to do that makes me happy? And then we go out and we behave that way, Mm -hmm. right? Essentially. Like, I mean, yes, I'm simplifying it I get that but I do see that as a super important part again getting silent and then saying hey what are my thoughts and what aren't my thoughts
1: yeah and this is why I think it's so important to think about happiness like a practice Mm -hmm. because a practice is something that we do over and over again and it starts to become habitual and the magic of that in terms of happiness is that like we talked about before life isn't butterflies and rainbows all the time Mm -hmm. once you have a habit and you start to ingrain that habit, it almost becomes second nature. Mm-hmm. Like for example, no matter how tired you are or stressed you are, do you ever have to like really make a huge effort to brush your teeth at night?
0: I do. I mm-hmm. don't, I don't yeah, so you asked yeah. the wrong person. Like <laughs> I actually, no, I, I mean, I do, but it's just like I'm tired and yeah. I, I don't often do it. But you'll but do I, it. But I do it. But I you do it. Do it. Yes, <laughs> I,
1: and so even, and most of the time, like, um, you know, you kind of, it's almost not even conscious that you brush your teeth, right? It's part mm-hmm. of your morning routine. Right. It's part of your nighttime routine. We brush our teeth. When we start to build that happiness habit and do those things, that even under pressure, when we don't have the bandwidth mm. to think about it, that's what we do. Right. Like even for me, I talked about gratitude earlier and I've been practicing gratitude for a mm. long time now, but I'll notice even sometimes in really stressful situations, if I start to tune into my thoughts, I'm like reflecting on something that's going on that I'm grateful for. Mm. And I didn't yeah, do that right. with, intention and purpose anymore because I patterned that behavior. So a lot of this idea of happiness as a practice means that we start to teach ourselves those ways of thinking, of acting, of behaving so that when we are under Mm -hmm. pressure or under stress, Mm -hmm. those things, can be come to us a little bit easier. And those are those tools that we have in our tool belts to help mitigate some of the effects of, of those more challenging times.
0: And it's so necessary too, because there seems to be a cumulative burden as we, you know, become more civilized and what have you. It just like things aren't getting easier. We seem to be complicating things more somehow. So it's like, if any time we can just simplify, I think that's, a great thing, I love that. Right, um, one of my
1: favorite Steve Jobs quotes. Um, he says, Simple can be harder than complex, and you have to work mm. really hard to get your thinking clean and to make it simple. But when yeah. you do that, you can move mountains. Yep, yes. And I think about that a lot. And I don't know if it's because I have a research background where things can be very messy and confusing. Oh, always oh, right? the mind,
0: the you're researching something new, something falls flat, it's back to the drawing board. I mean, life is like that for so many professions mm-hmm. and, and occupations, I should say, but yeah. Um, Yeah, when you
1: when you bring it back and you think, okay, what are the things that make me happy? What are the things that that we've always done that have been part of it? Okay, let's start
0: there. Yep. So on that note, nature. Let's talk Mm. about that. What? Because I mean, here I am. Looking to write this comprehensive paper. I, I need studies, Jill. I need yeah. studies. Tell me what is out there um, in regards to uh so with where I'm at right now with my research looking at uh nature relatedness. So how related we feel we are to nature can impact health and well-being. So is there any research out there that shows um our connection to nature or nature relatedness um can impact happiness? Yes. Yeah.
1: So we talked about those thoughts, actions, behaviors, spending time in nature. Nature is highly correlated with happiness. Okay. Um I, to sort of dig into it a little bit more when we spend time in nature it kind of it nature's a full sensory experience mm-hmm. first of all so we we see the the trees let's say we see the f- the beautiful fractal patterns in the in the leaves and in the plants and the flowers we touch the dirt or things maybe if we're foraging like we mm-hmm. probably are mm-hmm. uh, we smell the smells the the oils from the from the plants from yeah. the water we can taste like the water if we know what we're drinking. Yeah, um, don't right. drink water that you don't know. Right.
0: Um, Even just tasting the smells, tasting yeah, the air, right? We tasting can, the being berries out there, if you know rich. what you're foraging yeah, for. Right, for yeah, right. uh, you know,
1: obviously, mm-hmm. that piece. So within that, mm-hmm. we are a human fully experiencing a moment. Right. And there's magic connected. in that. And when we're in that and we're connected like that, of course, that boosts our happiness mm-hmm. because it makes us feel one.
0: Like we're not alone. Yeah. Yeah. Nature
1: right. also. I don't know. About you. Have you ever uh, gone for, for a hike or a walk and you didn't bring your phone and then you start having all these ideas? Yeah,
0: creativity hits. These sparks
1: of inspiration hit. It's because we're so overloaded with 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 notifications and Mm -hmm. to do lists and things that we don't like. We talked about earlier. Take the time. So nature inherently does not come with that outlet. And so we're out there. And so when we start to quiet our mind, that's when our mind can actually start to take a breath and Mm -hmm. to start to think. So in terms of our creativity, again, when we're feeling more creative, when we're feeling more inspired, we tend to feel happier as well. Right. What's interesting is that there's research that shows that even seeing photos of nature mm. can impact your mood. So oh, cool. it not as profound of effect as actually being right. in nature. I've heard that
0: recently. I don't know but where I heard it. Yes, but just seeing so, a picture, right? So what does
1: that mean for you? Well, if you work in an office, mm-hmm. what pictures are on your wall? Right. what does your desktop look like right. do you have a plant on your desk follow, the like na- that. follow
0: national geographic in yeah. your feed and then you're getting at least a cool because i mean exactly. i do I, I have a lot of uh different nature photographers that i'll follow because yeah just gorgeous pictures that's a great right? idea oh honestly I'm, it, I'm you gonna just do that. You throw them in there throughout the feed and you get to see it yeah, yeah it's lovely yeah, yeah so really if you're if you're mindlessly without intent scrolling that is of course that helps but mm-hmm. no otherwise when you're mindfully taking a minute and you can find them it's like wow
1: yeah. Nice. And, and even like in nature, if, if you live in a city like I do, mm-hmm. um, sometimes getting out into the forest can be a little bit more difficult. Yes. Um, but even going into more urban, uh, places. So first of all, when you look at an urban environment versus a forest, a forest is much more interesting for our mind. Like mm-hmm. urban places tend to be more straight lines, more yes. concrete, like that concrete jungle, right? It's not as aesthetically stimulating for the brain as right. being out in nature. At the same time, it's still... Is in like a good, better, best, of right. course, but it's yeah. still good if you can get out and get some sunshine, get some vitamin D. Right, uh, that impacts oh, your that mood alone, for right? sure, yeah. right? And and I think that sometimes when we're in nature, what it's doing is it's making us take a time out from our life. Yeah, we have to get away from our desk, we have to get away from our work, we have to get away from our chores, we have to get away from that stuff to do that. And mm. that in and of itself, I think, is an inherently mm-hmm. um, happiness-inducing, potentially opportunity. Right yeah um
0: well that's that's amazing to mm -hmm. think too because here we are with these jobs and these responsibilities of the modern day and it's it's those times that we get back out in nature reconnecting with the land that yeah we're able to again step into a spot where where happiness is a
1: possibility. Yeah. And I noticed for myself, like if I'm feeling really stressed or I'm feeling really anxious, Mm -hmm. I so I know for myself, those things that really can change my mood and boost my happiness. And for me, one of those things is is going for a hike or getting out into nature. And so sometimes I really won't feel like it, especially if you're in a bad mood, like the last thing you want to do is go for a hike. And like, I have to force myself. Yeah, and totally, at the end, totally. I don't regret it, but sometimes like it's that much work that you have to yeah. force yourself to do it. But I know that I'm going to be better for it because right. I know in the end, I'm going to be grateful that I did that. I um, and I do, I, you know, especially for myself, like moving from London, Ontario, where we are right now to Toronto,
0: to the, from the forest city to, the, to Toronto. Yeah. yeah, yeah London's the called the forest city Yeah.
1: to, to like the concrete jungle of downtown Toronto. Yeah. Uh, I've really noticed how much the environment can yeah. affect my mood and even stress levels and anxiety. It's so busy all the time. There's so much traffic. There's right. so much. So even more so than ever, I have to take the time to make the time. Right. I choose to make the time to get out into nature more than ever. So
0: true. And I am the same because my, one of my practices that I've enjoyed doing is journaling at the bottom of a tree. So I mm. call it tree time journaling. And I feel like through being connected from the tree roots down into the earth as well as having the, you know, the canopy up overhead. It's just this like conductor basically you say there's no outlets out there. This is kind of like a natural outlet or just like a charger. Right. And yeah, just quiet my mind and see what comes through on the page. And it's, yeah, sometimes it's like, I don't want to do this, but I know that once I get out there and I'm thinking to different forests that I, that I will walk in, um, I don't know if you could speak to it, but like it's, you you really truly feel like you're not alone. And Mm -hmm. as soon as you're out there, it's like, you know, maybe you're, walking through let's say an open field and it's got an energy so I mean listeners we can even do this you can just essentially like sink in kind of imagine yourself you know centering yourself stepping into the back seat of the car and just kind of feeling your area and as you walk through different areas of a forest you'll start to notice I I do anyways where it's like hey I don't feel like I'm alone here like these you walk through from an open space into like a canopy and then you feel the energy shift and just that alone it's like that energy shifting is a presence of another being. And, and again, it's sometimes yeah, going through those rough times. It's like sit at the base of a tree and everything kind of has a way of working itself out.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of wisdom there and, And even if you just look at how how plants and everything, if you really stop to think about, and in particular, I think the mushroom kingdom has been really eye opening for me in this regard, realizing how they work and what they do and where their mycelium are and their fruiting bodies, and Mm -hmm. and how how they all help each other and the symbiotic relationships. It's Fascinating. So
0: much help and cooperation in nature, and I think we often think of the Charles Darwin competition
1: mm-hmm.
0: thing, which is totally misinterpreted. And like, yeah, again, we're, nature is always there for each other, helping each other out. This mycelium's, you know, making way for that one, and this canopy's opening up for that one. And yeah, there's so much cooperation. So again, that's why I think it's just yeah, the community piece. It's so important. The the nature piece. Again, I think it's super important. Um, while we're chatting about that, there one thing I want to know, because you are downtown. Mm-hmm. Mm. Toronto, you can't forage water downtown Toronto. So I want to know, as I asked many many guests, what sort of things do you do to tap into your wild soul? How do you reconnect with nature up in the big city nowadays?
1: Yeah, so I hear I, um, I do make an effort to go to High Park, which is a park in Toronto. And one of my favorite, actually my favorite redwood tree in the city is there. And I like to go meditate in this tree um, in, in High Park. I, Red, knew, I knew you had a tree, friend. Yeah, redwoods are, are great for climbing. Mm. So I'll climb up really high and it looks out onto the water. And it's, it's a beautiful time to be in a metropolitan area and mm. to be still. It's kind of mm. like the eye of the hurricane. Uh,
0: Sometimes I'll almost like oh,
1: meditate on wow. this, being in the eye of a hurricane, because I think that's symbolic of life especially living in a city but even in in your life wanting to be that peace tranquility well there you go again it'd be a
0: great great opportunity to kind of sense your energy and then the buzz that is the the Mm -hmm. city right even if you do that in nature it's yeah Yeah. kind of the eye of yeah that's interesting
1: and uh so one of the things that i've been committed to for probably like seven or eight years now is i only drink spring water or i try Uh, my best to whenever possible drink spring water and what i mean by that is like water from a naturally occurring aquifer. Mm. Um, I mentioned findaspring.com spring.com right earlier. Yeah. I'll so definitely put that in the show notes. I have, sure. um, a couple springs that in from downtown Toronto, the closest springs are about 40 minutes driving. Oh yeah. Um, but what I'll do is I use carboys. So they're used uh, for making wine, these big, like 15, 18, 20 liter glass jugs. Mm-hmm. And I'll take them to the forest and I'll fill them up with water and I'll bring them home. Mm-hmm. I live in a condo and I get a lot of weird looks when here I come, <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I'm by myself. Sometimes I'll be with my boyfriend, but I'll carry these water jugs up to my condo and then put them on the water cooler and that's the water I drink. Um, uh, I have a couple different springs that I go to. If, if you're not sure, you've never been to a spring, it's of mm-hmm. course really important to test the water right. and that kind of thing. Find a spring is great because there's comments below yeah. so you can actually read from the community what's going on.
0: Yeah, that's really um, cool.
1: And some of them like, Chalk Lake, which is in Oxbridge, uh, just north of Toronto. I think it's north. Uh, They have like a whole community set up a whole thing where you can back your cars. They've piped it. It's it's, it's amazing. More than, first of all, drinking that water has been game changing for me in terms of my energy, my clarity, my focus mm. so much so that it has been a non-negotiable for over seven years now.
0: You've been doing it for a very long mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was actually really happy to see a story you had on Instagram. I was like you getting water. I'm like, Oh, she's still, yeah. still doing it. Yeah. yeah I'm that
1: committed because I yeah. see the effect. The other it's thing an, it's I like It's foundational.
0: It. I mean, of all things you can do, talking about lifestyle medicines and stuff like that, like water. It was always where I started with clients. It was just like getting back mm-hmm. to the basics and getting some good spring water is so important. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And,
1: I also like the intentionality of it because I'm back to that. It's a theme in my life right now. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so often like I use, I volunteer um, with this children's charity that teaches kids about cooking skills and I'll often say to them, okay, well, where does, where do French fries come from? And they'll say the freezer. I'll say, where does water come from? People shouldn't be laughing, but I am. They'll say the tap Because a lot of times they're that disconnected. And so Mm -hmm. for me, part of the act of going out and getting water is connecting back with my roots. Yeah. Uh, tribes used to go yeah, to and go collect and get, water, and they bring it back, and then they go get more water, and they bring it back. And so, to me, mm. there's a a piece of that element that I that it's I. It's a pilgrimage to yeah. finding a piece of
0: yourself, if you think about it, because water is going to become part of you. You're and going choosing, out there, and you're giving yourself mm. time and intention to. Disconnect and go out and get your water. Um, yeah, yeah, not to mention
1: f- springs are in forests, so I'm getting some nature exposure. I'll yeah, try to go for right. hikes usually yeah, when I'm out right. there anyway. Also, I'll I'll listen to like a podcast or something on the yeah. drive out, mm-hmm. so I'm learning. And you yeah. know, people think that's weird, but at the same time, we'll go and watch a movie in a movie theater for two hours. Right. It's the same amount of time that I did to get my spring water. True. And and it's just a very different experience. And those you're those crushing towers.
0: two coconuts with one stone. Is that the right word? Two coconuts, one rock. Two coconuts, <laughs> one rock, right? I at guess the same you time, use right? A stone yeah. Word you yeah, I guess so. <laughs> um, no, that's yeah. that's cool. So I'm glad that you're still doing that. Yes. And it's right not too far from the city either. Um, what about this is something that I've kind of been keen on. I've I've kind of like, again in in PhD mode spirit, uh, created a word mm. called wild hacking. Mm. My reason for doing this was to kind of steer clear of the commercialism that I sometimes see with biohacking as Mm -hmm. well as the mentality of like a get quick, get their quick fix Mm -hmm. mentality. Plus a lot of folks in the rewilding community aren't cool with the whole idea of biohacking altogether. But I do understand much like rewilding and biohacking and all these things in life, it's a spectrum. Mm -hmm. So I know that you're living in the city now. I know that you're an old school hippie and you want to walk around barefoot all the way all the time. now. (laughs) (laughs) But how are, what types of maybe technology are you using as you live downtown Toronto to keep you connected? Because maybe you can't have what we have here in the Forest City all the time. So it's like, what other things are you doing that's helping?
1: Yeah, you know, so there's a yin and a yang to everything, of Mm -hmm. course. Uh, And so part of it is I, I realize I'm choosing to live in a city right now and for me in my phase of life that makes the most sense for me to to achieve the goals that I want to be doing what I want to do to create the life that I want to live so with that I also realize that there's a responsibility to uh, to not have or to try to mitigate or lessen the environmental impact on mm-hmm. what I'm doing as well so for myself um that looks like making sure that I do make an effort and it's an effort to spend time in nature mm-hmm. Uh, sleep is a huge priority for me. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Same as like I eat, you know, a lot of, I go to uh, eat a lot of organic, healthy food, mm-hmm. whenever possible. We have right. a lot of great farmer's markets and stuff in Toronto, so right. I make an effort to go to them. Um, I try to take a lot of time to go to the salt bath. Um, oh, yeah, in nice. The Scandinavian Spa nice. uh, is a big one for me. I I check in with myself and more and more I'm realizing that I know what I need. hmm And, you know, we're all students of our body and I believe our body is our best teacher. And so for me, it's not the same all the time. And Mm -hmm. so for me, what it is, is a continual checking in. How are you feeling? Is this how you want to feel? What tools do you have in your tool belt that can help you to shift this? So some days it might be, I need to drink a lot of bone broth Mm -hmm. and not eat food because I've been eating way too much junk. Sometimes it can be, I need to take a day and unplug Mm-hmm. it could be i need to go back home and spend time with right. my family so for me it's, it's okay. not something consistent it's more that continual checking in and recognizing again right. it's it's process
0: yeah and it's that getting silent again and i love how you say tools and i've say it so many times but i kind of just had this like little epiphany that you know as as we've evolved we've evolved with tools the mm-hmm. wheel sticks twigs bones bows and arrows all these things are tools but we are now in a time where we have to have spiritual tools or these emotional tools that allow us to tap back in to that piece of ourselves. So I do really enjoy the fact that yeah, you said tools there because they are tools.
1: Yeah, you know, and and it's interesting because I think sometimes I think like why haven't like before nineteen eighty there was like that wasn't the first happiness peer reviewed research article that was ever published. Before that, uh-huh. nobody thought to ask what's going right and how do we do that. Yeah. Up until then, it was like studying the opposite. The right? opposite. What's yeah. what's going wrong? What's going wrong? Yeah. Um, no, and so. I think Science about, like, will catch up. You yeah, know what and, I mean and, uh, with with, with evolution my,
0: and getting back to simple stuff. Yeah. We will. We will. It will catch up. Yeah. But I think about like
1: why is it that we're having more of these like c- conversations nowadays about self actualization or living your best life or finding meaning and finding purpose? Where before we were. Um, more focused on like even like hunter gatherer tribes it was just a survival. Yeah. But technology and the life that we live has created this opportunity that's given us the time and the opportunity right. and the space to start asking those questions. Right. So I think we have a responsibility to really sit with those questions Without because a doubt, we have the time, right? Yeah. We, we now more than ever have so many opportunities around us, yeah. which can be daunting and overwhelming. And again, there's that slippery slope to where yeah. they're not a tool. It's not a help. It's a hindrance. Yes. And. When we when we can get clear and into those places and doing that, I think that's the work. That's the mission. Yeah. Now it's amazing seeing like a,
0: a like a full circle or like a return or a rewilding, right? It's just neat to see this kind of shift. This that we're currently in. So speaking of this shift on the earth, my question that I want to ask to you is, what is your wildest dream for the earth? It gets deep Ooh. here at the end. You
1: know.
0: Or what is your wildest mm-hmm. dream for the earth for right now, today?
1: Like I just, I see what's going on in the planet mm-hmm. and how we are treating our environment. And it hurts me physically. Yeah, yeah. I feel pain. Um, I'm excited by the fact that I think we are more conscious, even if you look at the use of straws as an mm-hmm. example, yeah. right? And and I, I, I think sometimes when problems seem so big, it can, they can almost be so overwhelming that you are paralyzed or you feel yeah. that you yeah. are one person and what kind of difference can I make and so part of my journey has been realizing that if it doesn't start with one person it's never going to start right. and we are all stewards of this planet and stewards of our body and we're all leaders in that we all have the opportunity to demonstrate how mm. we want to live and how we want to treat our planet and so right. for me what that means is living a life with intention mm-hmm. so that means when you're living with intention, you're, you know, I I don't use saran wrap. I use my beeswax wraps, like Mm. things like that. Like I'm not just covering my food with what I always covered my food with. I'm looking for opportunities to make those little shifts, small shifts in your life. Just like happiness, happiness doesn't come in one big shiny moment. Happiness Mm -hmm. is the small things every day that add up to a happy life. And with the environment and then with having that wild dream, it's not to me one big thing. It's the small things that I'm doing every Mm -hmm. day that I'm moving the needle forward. That's awesome. And to me, That's the metric that I'm thinking about. And that's where, like, even it's really cool with happiness. Um, Research from Harvard found that our happiness actually extends three degrees from us. Oh. So I'm happy. I'm affecting you. And then also the people that you meet today. Uh, So when we think about, you know, like the Buddha says, like being the change we wish to see in the world and in a day and age that we're living in today, when especially you turn on the news, it seems so doom and gloom. And we think about like, what can I do? Mm -hmm. How can I be that Buddha? How can I be the change? Mm -hmm. It starts with us and modeling whatever behavior. It's the same as even with, I mean, you know, this from your health, wellness background, you can tell somebody, this is how you exercise, this is how you eat. Right. Yeah. And that's great and that's wonderful information, but you can't want them to change until they want to change. Yeah. Exactly. Right? You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. Right. And so knowing that, what do I what do we do? How do we do that? If we can't make them drink, well, we can go and we can drink and we can model that. And we Mm -hmm. can know that our actions extend beyond us and beyond the people that we even meet. And that to me is the key of where we start to see the change. That's the grassroots shift. And it definitely, I don't know if you would agree with this, but I feel like things are shifting, things yes, are changing yes. uh, more than ever. We're waking up. And I think this is just the beginning of a really exciting time.
0: Without a doubt. So well said. Thank you for doing that work. Thank you for getting yourself quiet and figuring out what makes you happy. Cause beyond all your big, brilliant brain, you've got such a big heart and you're following what makes you happy. And it is, it's contagious and I can feel it. And I hope all you folks out there listening today can feel it and can pass a little bit of it on. To your neighbor, to your loved one, to your dog, to your cat, whoever you want to. Jill, where can folks find out more about your work, um, anything you got coming up? Do You want to share with folks?
1: Yeah. So, um, my website is a good hub, which is my name, Jillian Mandich, and it's Jillian with a G. So confusing. The so G I, is yeah. so confusing. Jill. I know, right? And my yeah. brothers used to call me Gillian. It's not that. G <laughs> I L L I A N M A N D D as in dog, I C H dot com. And cool. that's got links to all my socials. All my socials, my handle okay. um, is at Gillian Mandich. Okay. There's a good hub for everything that I'm doing on my website, too. I actually just shot a, an online course with a colleague of mine, oh, Dr. Oh, cool. Rami I was going to ask
0: you that. If you're doing any courses, and good. She's a
1: resiliency Expert. Okay. And so we ha- created a course called Happy and Resilient because mm. we realized even in our conversation today, we were talking about how... Uh, happiness isn't just going through life. We need to have that resilience. But then if mm-hmm. we're resilient, we're not happy. So they're the really, those two topics are very complementary. There. Yeah. There's a lot of overlap and a lot of dovetail and a lot of exponential benefits when you can kind of look at them together. So we right. created an online course. It is, um, all the details will be on my website. That's
0: really cool. Uh, Good. And
1: uh, I just, um, if you're interested, we I just finished a big national study with uh, Dr. Rumi Ellen and the Canadian Mental Health Association looking at happiness at work. Uh, and so work. on March 20th, the International Day of Happiness. No one's happy at work. <laughs> right. I'm it's curious. True. I'm
0: very curious. Yeah,
1: we um, we are in the process right now of writing a white paper. So all the results for that will all be available um, through my website March 20th and after. So if you're interested in happiness at work and what people and organizations can do to help foster joy, contentment, and positive well-being in the workplace, then uh, the white paper is there. It's completely free. You can download it and uh, it'll be up after the International Day of Happiness.
0: Awesome. Well, yeah, that is amazing. And uh, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for opening up your parents' home to me and the <laughs> podcast. Here's the first show I've done on the road. So yeah, <laughs> it went, went over very well. So yeah, thank you so much to you and thank you everybody out there for listening um please do check out jillian's work share it with a friend because happiness is contagious and it is important stuff especially if we all want to stay wild Thank you for listening to the rewild my bio podcast please subscribe to the show and leave a five-star rating if you've enjoyed this episode i would greatly appreciate it if you shared the show with your friends if of course you think they would like it you can also visit rewildmybio.com to download previous episodes and sign up for the newsletter in the newsletter i share blogs and bonus content from my health promotion research along with practical tips to help you rewild in a modern world please follow along on Instagram and Facebook at Rewild My Bio and on Twitter at Sean Slade. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, stay wild.